I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. And we're back, folks. Welcome to another episode of Resource Real Talk About Louisville Real Estate. I am your host, Jay Pitts, broker owner at REMAX Premier Properties, leader of JT Pitts & Associates. And, you know, it's the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, it's a special week, if you ask me, for a, for, a, for lots of reasons. I mean, I had my 40th birthday yesterday, so many of you were so kind to reach out. So we'll get more into that in a moment, but that may be shaping somewhat the message that I bring to you today. So I want to get you ready, and I might be coming in hot a little bit. So just uh, prepare yourself. If you're watching live on the Facebook group, uh, hang on. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts later on, you might want to turn the volume down a little bit. If you're driving down the road, might be a little salty. Consider not listening to this one around the children or with the children in the car, perhaps. Um, but uh, I'll try to keep it as PG as I can. Let's pay some bills real quick. I will say that um, I've listened back to a number of the episodes, and I think that this part of the episode just kind of gets a little long. So I'll be very, very quick. First and foremost, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate you following us for the several years that we've been uh, doing the resource podcast, and we appreciate your support up until now. Um, we try to bring you really amazing content on a weekly basis, and we will continue to do so. No plans to change that up anytime soon, but we would like to make sure that it is most accessible to you, okay? You can find us, and that you know where to find us. You know, for whatever reason, if you wake up one day and you just don't like Apple Podcasts, we want to know wherever, what you to know everywhere else we are. If you're a team leader, if you're a broker owner, if you're you know someone in another market that wants to use some of our content to help coach and mentor your agents, we want you to know how to ease, most easily find that. So um, if you would, listen to these couple of avenues. You can find us live on Facebook, Wednesdays, right around noon. I, we are not extremely punctual, but today I am proud to say we were pretty much on time. Uh, you can find us on there. It's in a private Facebook group, though. You can't just get access. You have to ask for it, unfortunately. We want to keep the group small, intimate, and and productive. So, you know, we're not going to make you jump through a bunch of hoops. Just send me a note. You know, say, hey, Jay, connect with me on Facebook and invite me to the resource group. I'll get you done, um, get that taken care of so you can, ch- you know, chime in in the, you know, in the chat or what have you during the live episodes. We also publish full episodes to youtube.com slash Realtor. You can watch full video episodes uh, about 30 minutes a week. We try to keep it you know, as concise as possible. You can also find our sister piece of content, JTP University, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Realtor. You can find us on all the socials. We have the Resource Podcast on Facebook. That is our page. Um, 
You can find us on, you know, social channels like Twitter at JTPA Louisville at JTPA Louisville. That's a little different than the rest at J Pitts Realtor on Instagram at J underscore Pitts on TikTok. Hoping to be bringing you lots more content on TikTok soon. I just think there's a lot of opportunities to scale our content distribution there. You can find us on streaming platforms for podcasts. Apple and Spotify are the main two. If you find us there and you like the show and what we do, I would love to see you give us a five-star review. Anything less is going to tell me that I'm not bringing premium content. So if you want to send that message, go for it. If you like what I'm doing, give us a five-star review. Give us a follow. It helps the the um, algorithm gods, the algo gods out there, serve our podcast to multiple people. You know that like you might like section every time you go online somewhere? I would like to show up in a few more of those. So uh, tell us we're doing something good. We appreciate it. Um, and that's all for that's that's all my uh, you know uh, my my shaking my tin can for today. All right, let's move on. I'm I'm excited about this. So I'm going to tell you about a really good book first and foremost, and this sets the tone for something for for today's message. the The really good book is by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called Outliers. If you're a part of this brokerage, if you're a part of my company, you know that this is a book that I am a fan of. Okay. This, this book is, paints a picture for you, and I've always felt like um, I've always felt like this book was almost autobiographical for me in some ways. Now, the premise of the book is that circumstance, okay, is the really clear and present difference between the ultra successful and just the really successful. Okay. So it's the difference between, you know, Michael Jordan, okay, and Donovan Mitchell. Okay. So those of you that don't know, Donovan Mitchell is an all-star from the University of Louisville. He's one of the premier players in the NBA right now. Um, guy's pretty exciting to watch, but he's not Michael Jordan. I don't think anybody would make that argument, right? Jordan is Jordan. There is no other Jordan. Okay. Uh, the ultra successful is Bill Gates. The ultra successful is Steve Jobs, Michael Dell. Those are actually three examples um, that are used in you know, this book. The ultra successful is Mark Zuckerberg, not the founder of MySpace. And there is an inherent circumstantial difference between these ultra successful people. I'd actually love to see Gladwell write an update to the book, including the social media era. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of news, Twitter got a new CEO yesterday. Um, you know, the, the, you know, Jack is stepping down as CEO amid pressure from investors. Um, I'd like to see the social media era revisited in outliers, but, but he uses Michael Dell, the founder of Dell computers, Steve jobs, obviously Apple founder, co-founder and Bill Gates, a famous for Microsoft. He uses them as an example and their unique circumstances, their time and place in history, all Pacific Northwest, solid middle-class families, ex-military parents, um, you know, just like layer after layer of similarity in their background that led them to be in a position with a certain set of skills at a certain time in history that allowed them to change the world. Okay. So I, it's taken me a long time to set this up, but I'm going to arrive at my point very, very quickly. Okay. Um, you as a real estate professional are a champion 
or a victim of circumstance. Now, this doesn't say that your outcomes are not directly attributable to your efforts, to your activities. I always say that we can, you know, control our activities, but not always control our outcomes. Now, your activities certainly predict your outcomes. Doing the right things tend to yield the correct results or the appropriate results, the results that are desirable, okay? The um, the efforts that you put in today produce the results that you get tomorrow, good, bad, or indifferent. Now, I said that I think this book is a bit autobiographical, and I'll explain what I mean. I came in to the real estate industry in 2004. I got licensed, okay? Didn't sell right away, started investing, okay? Um, basically, you know, went into the mortgage business, started investing in real estate while I was doing mortgage loans, mortgage origination, which is kind of interesting that it's come full circle and I'm now a mortgage company owner with Motto Mortgage here affiliated with Remax Premier Properties, but I digress. I was in the mortgage business. I wanted to do something different than my father. I was a stubborn firstborn and I wanted to do something different, so I did. Okay, but what I got to witness in the mortgage business from 2004 to 2007 was the precursor to the foreclosure crisis. You know, uh, unrestricted lending, no income, no asset verification, stated income loans, appraisal waivers, subprime mortgages, two-year arms with three-year prepays, you know, pay option arms, like the industry run amok. I participated. I mean, what was I to do? I was a 22-year-old recent college graduate trying to make it in a business with no experience where they typically require five years experience to get into. And you may laugh at that, five years experience to be a loan officer. kind of seems like people get that job if they can fog a mirror these days. But that's what it was then. Okay, so the people that were making these loans other than me, were predominantly quite successful, quite experienced individuals. I saw a serious pivot in that industry in my short time. Okay. Around about 2007, I decided that my time in the mortgage industry was was coming to a close. And I decided because my real estate practice on the side had ramped up, my investing had surged, my interest in investing had surged, my requirement to be self-employed, not just kind of self-employed as a loan officer, reached a fever pitch. Okay? I needed to be self-employed. I wasn't smart enough to know what was to come just yet. Okay? You know, in the open of the show you hear, I'm always ahead of the curve. Uh, that frankly makes me cringe every time I hear it. But the truth is, is I've proven time and again to somehow be on the right side of circumstance. Outliers showed me that early in my career when I read it for the first time. It showed me time and again throughout my career as I've reflected upon it. And my movement from the realist, from the mortgage business to the industry, to, to the real estate industry full time was no different. Mortgage absolutely collapsed in 2008. Real estate was not far behind it. Um, but what I was able to do was pivot into a segment of the real estate industry that was quite profitable, bank foreclosure liquidation. So I made the loans, 
right? That got foreclosed and then I sold them. So I made money coming and going. I guess I'm um, a cautionary tale, if you will. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing and nothing was illegal or immoral or any of that. I was just playing by the rules that were given to me. Okay. So moving through that, okay, the next several years, I helped clean up the mess. Um, clean up the mess that was the foreclosure industry. Um, got through it, started building a team and pivoted out of and then into out of one of the worst markets of all times into one of the best stretches in the history of residential real estate sales. And we're still riding that wave today. Just as soon as, say, 2019 rolls around and we start even allowing a whisper of a correction to escape our mouths and into conversations about where the real estate industry is, COVID happens, shuts us down for two months, and then we have one of the most serious V-shaped recoveries that a real estate market has ever seen, and prices skyrocket, sales volumes skyrocket, commissions skyrocket, agents in the industry skyrockets, inventory plummets, further pushing prices. And you know, if you're familiar with the Pareto principle, you know, the best 20% makes 80% of all the revenue in almost any business. We're certainly solidly entrenched in that 20%. Now, what does all that mean? Um, today's message for you, off of Thanksgiving, off of a, a bit of a momentous, you know, uh, momentous birthday that causes me reflection, is to just simply say to you, as a real estate agent right now, whether you are a member of the top 25 real estate teams in the country like we are, or you are three months in the business and still haven't cashed a paycheck yet, you should be thankful. You should be thankful. Because some of the even more most moderate conditions that we've seen over the history of the real estate industry, highs and lows, somewhat of a, somewhat of a valley, conditions of somewhat of a valley, um, have not, not even showed up as realistic. I mean, I'm constantly reminded as I coach our 90 plus agents that the majority of them in the business, less than five years, a substantial percentage of them in the business, less than two years. And pretty solid percentage in the business less than one year, have never, ever, ever seen a bad market. Never. A seasonal, like, dip. Two to three weeks of, of lackluster demand has them worried. And I'm not mad at you for it. I mean, you only know what you've only, you only know what you've ever known. You've only known what you experienced. I often say the only substitute for experience is education, and there is no education here. I try to tell you, but they're just words, okay? So I thought it would be fun if we took a little look at what the worst time in the last 
40 years in real estate, 30 maybe, 1981, 40 years. I mean, the last, <laughs> ironically enough, as I talk about my 40th birthday, the time before 2008, 2009, that was the worst on record that in, at least in my lifetime was literally at the dawn of my birth. November of 1981 is the actual pinnacle of the you know Carter stagflation. Uh, 20 plus percent mortgage interest rates that absolutely decimated the real estate industry. So, you know, 2009 was 12 years ago. 2010, obviously 11 years ago, 2008, 13 years ago, what have you. But beyond that, it was, you had to go back another almost 30 years to find unfavorable real estate conditions. I mean, even the dot com bust um, didn't hurt real estate the way any of those two other circumstances did. You know, recessions were not like they were in 2009 or in 1981. So let's just take a look at 2009 and and take you down memory lane a little bit. So first and foremost, I want to highlight that there was a supreme illiquidity in real estate. Financing, that is. That means that buyers, qualified buyers, had a hard time getting mortgage loans. Well-qualified, 720-plus credit score, 20% down. We're looking at 40- and 50-day turn times on closings, okay? You know, they say that credit qualification as it pertains to real estate is about two things. It's the two Ps. It's people and property. Well, there was nothing wrong with the people, but the property was so suspect. The market was so volatile, and prices were going this way, not this way. It's a way different problem when prices are receding versus inclining. So you have this illiquidity in financing because the bank, frankly, could not establish a loan-to-value ratio on a loan today and expect that it would be consistent for tomorrow. So they were less likely to approve loans. Now, I've already talked about bank foreclosures, and some of you might not even know the term REO. It stands for real estate owned or the line item on a bank's balance sheet where they carry the asset of real estate that they foreclosed on notes that they've issued, real estate owned. You probably also haven't even heard the term the asset manager, and the only comparison I can make to the asset manager is the underwriter. Those of you that have been in the business more than 10 years could tell you that the asset manager was the boogeyman. It was the same, it was the person, it was the whipping, the whipping post. It was the person that was blamed for everything. Delays, poor policies, processes, not getting your offer accepted, you know, not getting documents back in a timely fashion, not being ready to close, title, title defects that you know, delayed closing for months and months. It was the asset manager's fault. You probably haven't even heard that term. I'm thankful to not have to deal with asset managers anymore. Truthfully, got to a point where you couldn't even get them on the telephone. And I was the listing agent that was working at their behest. High days on market. I've often said that I had six listings uh, between month three and six of my career and didn't get a single showing on on a single one of them. High days on market. Angry sellers, which brought no or little seller's equity. Desperation amongst sellers. Wanting to blame someone. And who is in their clearest line of sight? It's their listing agent. You know, you often say list or don't last in the real estate industry. 
list or don't last. Well, listings, okay, were dirt. You didn't need them. You needed qualified buyers, and maybe not even qualified. If you referred to number one on the list, illiquidity, you wanted cash buyers. Here's the problem with that. We had high, empl- high unemployment. The Dow was in the tank, okay? All this institutional money where you feel like the stock market is bound to correct at some point soon, and these people that are riding high are going to lose, and they've pulled their money out so that they can put it into something more tangible, so they're paying cash for investment real estate, they're doing all None of that was available. None of it. Cash buyers were king. And because they were so powerful you saw, and certain areas were so decimated with so many bank foreclosures, you saw prices dive 10, 15, 20, 25%, even more in some cases. And cash buyers were king and picked up properties for pennies on the dollar. dollar. I will say, I'm, I'm one of those beneficiaries. I bought a house that was listed at 39.9 in 2010. Previously listed at 49.99. I paid $15,000 for it. I rented it after spending about 5,000, 20,000 invested. I could sell it for over 100 now. It's paid for itself 5 times over in terms of rent received. That twenty that original twenty thousand, it's paid me a hundred grand in ten years. It's incredible. I don't know how to reconcile that. Okay, so if you were the beneficiary, then fantastic. Those are the people that you see right now selling hundreds of houses that they picked up between two thousand and nine and two thousand and twelve or thirteen. But the average seller had no equity. They had a mortgage about to adjust. They were unemployed and about to lose their home even though they had great credit prior to. They had run through all of their savings. The stock market had plummeted and their 401k was worthless or near worthless or certainly substantially less than it was prior to. 40 and 50% losses in a few months' time. Credit ruined, Right? We have a lot to be thankful for right now. For perspective, home prices dropped on average nationwide 5% in 2010, not even the worst year. 2009 was much worse than 2010. They dropped 3.1% on average nationwide in 2011 before rebounding and going up 6% in 2012. For perspective, 2020 we saw an 11.3% increase in prices in 2020 nationwide. I've heard numbers as high as 13. This is the Freddie Mac house price index. Pretty reliable source. For perspective also, if you got in the business in 2012, okay, Nine years ago, you have seen the following increases, 6.3, 8.9, 4.1, 6.1, 6.4, 7.2, 5.1, 4.2, and 2020 was 11.3. Now, you could add all of those up and say, 
this is how much home prices have increased, but you'd be wrong because you wouldn't be taking in, into account the exponential nature. It is incredible, the run that this real estate market has been on. And I don't know when it's coming to a close. Just as soon as I start to predict it, um, just as soon as I start to predict an end of the run, something else happens. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stick to one year at a time. Right now, the market tells me here in Greater Louisville that we've been tanking in terms of properties to market over the last six weeks. We're in an extreme deficit, much deeper than we were at the end of last year. We've got lower demand. We've got inflation is really high, but rates are low. But the Fed is starting to kind of waffle on whether they're going to raise rates next year. You've seen estimates of 13.3% price appreciation drop to 6.6%, according to Fannie, or Freddie Mac. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I expect. It's Wednesday, December 1st. You're going to see lackluster demand for the next four weeks getting through the holidays. You're going to see a renewed vigor amongst buyers come January 1. With very little inventory, you're going to see crazy, crazy uh, multiple offer situations for the best properties. You're going to see multiple offer situations that rival May of 2021 April of 2021, multiple five, 10 offers per decent listing. You're going to see that until sellers start to realize and the weather clears and bring properties to market. And then you're going to see some pretty steep price appreciation through the spring. You're going to see a pretty solid summer. You're going to see a very slow fall in winter. But ultimately, this year is going to look a lot, or 2022 is going to look a lot like 2021. Hopefully, we're rescued slightly by new construction, but, you know, you've got some tariff situation, you know, threatening lumber prices again. I'm not saying the last 12 years have been perfect, but I'm saying that what I was taught about the real estate industry was that you take six-month listings because your goal is to market them for 90 days, attract offers, and sell within 120, and close in 150, leaving 30 days to spare. I've seen, you know, a competing market that an agent, a very good agent down in Raleigh, North Carolina, that we used to be here with our firm, just posted that they're at 0.8 months supply right now, which is about where we're at. They're at an eight-day, eight average day on market situation. I think that you need to batten down the hatches, get ready for this crazy spring that we're about to have, and I think you need to do so while being thankful and appreciative for the run that we've been on for the last 10 or 12 years. And if you just joined in the last 24 months, you've gotten to see the best of it. I know COVID was a game changer for a lot of people. And it still threatens to impact our markets now. But it sure beats the alternative. List sell in 120, close in 150. Um, 
the sales volume that we have is simply not possible under those circumstances. It's just simply not possible. So be thankful. I didn't even get into, you know, industry developments like electronic signatures and iPhones and, you know, wiring money to closings and not having to do down payment assistance and things like that. It's just a very good time to be a real estate agent. And I hope you know that. That's all I've got for this week, folks. As a reminder, check us out on all the socials I gave you at the top of the episode. Uh, Private Facebook group, Resource Real Talk about Louisville Real Estate, The Resource Podcast on Facebook. That is our page. At JTPA Louisville on Twitter, at Realtor on Instagram, at J underscore Pitts on TikTok, YouTube.com slash Realtor for full-length episodes, snippets. Look for us on uh, Instagram Reels. Uh, My man Patrick puts together a snippet for every episode that kind of uh, gives you a tease on, you know, what we do here at Resource. Find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or pretty much wherever you podcast. Don't forget those five-star reviews. Give us a follow. We appreciate it. We like to see more people listening. Our numbers have increased, even with some erratic, you know, episode scheduling due to some personal issues this year. I sincerely appreciate your time and attention each week. We will be be back real soon. Once again, I am your host, Jay Pitts, broker owner at Remax Premier Properties. We'll see you next week. Thank you.